Hi, this is Pete from Pete's Auto Repair calling in Chicago. You're listening to Q4 Radio. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Oh, Frederick, are you all right? Yes. Would you excuse me for one minute, dear? Of course, Doctor. Igor? May I speak to you for a moment? Of course. Sit down, won't you? Thank you. Up here. Thank you. Now, that brain that you gave me, was it Hans Delbrooks? No. Ah, good. Uh, Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. Abby normal. I'm almost sure that was the name. (laughs) Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long, 54 inch wide gorilla! What? Is that what you're telling me? Quick, quick, get him up! Live from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, just this side of the concrete encrusted banks of the North Branch of the Chicago River, it's the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program, heard every Sunday on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Good planets are hard to find, temperate zones and tropic climes, true currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine will good planets are hard to find. He doesn't own the word green, he merely rents it for a small fee. Here he is, Mike Novak. Mike one on, Mike three on. Hello. Hello. Stand by. One more time. All right. Now that we got that odious task out of the way. I'm just uh, trying to figure out where that apple was going, so I missed the one more time cue. The apple's going into, let's see. Mmm. That's good. Honeycrisp. Mm-hmm. That is one mighty fine apple. Mmm. Because it's uh, it's that time of year. Apple season. Apple season, baby. And uh, we got these out uh, in Wilmington, Illinois, on Friday when we went out there to um, Medewin National Tallgrass Prairie and our little field trip. How about a ding for Medewin? There you go. You better talk. I'm still chewing. <laughs> He's chewing. Sorry, folks. Good mm-hmm. morning. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they had some wonderful apples there. We stopped at this little roadside stand where mm-hmm. you get off the road and you see this sign that says, Apples. <laughs> going, yeah. Okay, does, does that mean like fresh apples, good apples, and are they open? And, whoa, can you turn that down just oh, a little? Oh, was that please? you? That, that was, was you. I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I thought I'm trying to turn mine up. So anyways, we had this wonderful ah, surprise. Ah, that's mine. There yes, we go. Yes, yes. Much better. Now I can hear better. Whoa. Um, <laughs> I'm awake. I'm sorry. So they had all these apples that they got from Coloma, Michigan, he said. Um, you know, we talked to the guy who owns this local farm, and he brings in what they have, Honeycrisp, Pink Ladies, these huge, mm-hmm. huge, golden, delicious Asian apples. Oh, yeah, mix. they had that that, that, that hybrid. Yeah. Uh, and it produces apples the size of basketballs, basically. And uh, so you only need one for <laughs> a whole pie. A whole pie. <laughs> Uh, but th- no, that was that was fun. We had a great time. It was our field trip on Friday, and we, and if you go, go to my blog, you go to mikenovak.net, and uh, where it says uh, learn about this week's show or read about this week's show, uh, you will find my blog. And the title of it this week is "Desperately Seeking Bison," because that's what we were doing on Friday. Now, should we? Should we reveal whether we... No, we, we want them to keep listening. All right, got to listen till the second hour of the program today to find out whether we actually did achieve bison on Friday uh, because they were introduced to Medewin National Tallgrass Prairie last year, and they're thriving. It's so cool. In fact, that's the whole second hour of the program until we get to Rick DeMaio weather is about bison in the United States, our national... Mammal. Let's have a ding for the national mammal. All right. Um, and we're good at uh, almost wiping out species and then deciding they're the national mm-hmm. animal. Quick, let's figure out how to save them now. Yeah, before they're gone. Well, you know, one of the things we got to talk about, we did not talk about with the crew there on Friday, is the gene pool mm-hmm. of bison. Uh, because... They got down to if I was looking I, various websites about this various places you can find information. Some say the population got as low as three hundred before the conservation efforts started. That's a pretty small gene that's pool. A small pool, and and the other thing that's happened over a hundred years, and that was around nineteen hundred when the bison population got down to about 300, after it was uh, estimated at perhaps as many as 60 million uh, before the European... um, I'm trying... I was going to say settlers. That's not the right word. The European... uh, Invaders. Invaders, yes, came here. Uh, We're we're really good at at, at destroying species. Uh, But anyway, so we went from 60 million to about 300. And in the past year... Some of them have been bred with cattle. So there's all kinds mm-hmm. of interesting. And then the ones that were bred with each other had a very small gene pool to work from. So what kind of yeah. bison do we have now? And are they, are they healthy? And uh, have, do they have issues because of this? Uh, that's one of the questions we can ask. Yeah, you've got the production herds, which are totally separate from a herd like Medewin and the wild herds, and the tribal herds. And yeah, well, How are well they even and then related? we have the food herds. The, yeah, the production the, herds. The, yeah, the production herds. Uh, so we will talk about that with Wade Spang, 
who we met on Friday at Medewin. He's the Prairie Supervisor out there. Uh, uh, Keith On or Own or Aon, I don't know how you pronounce his last name, uh, Bison Program Director for the Wildlife Conservation Society. Dwayne Lammers, who's a bison and ecology specialist, specialist and worked on Dances with Wolves. Uh, I guess a lot of it was shot on his ranch. So that's kind of cool. Um, we'll talk to him. And Jim Stone, Executive Director of the Intertribal Buffalo Council, and getting Native Americans, well, a lot of Native Americans, uh, some tribes have buffalo or bison. And there's a difference between buffalo and bison. I suppose mm-hmm. we should get into that as well. Uh, not right now. So that's all in the second hour. As I said, after that will be Rick DeMaio weather. Let's, we're now backing up. In the first hour, um, at 9.30, we're going to have another animal that is very cool. This is, a, this is a good animal day on the Mike Novak Show. Uh, bison and bats. We're going to be talking bats with Bruce Patterson, who is the uh, MacArthur. Okay, now i got to look the, at snot. He's uh, the curator here. of MacArthur, curator of mammals of the Field Museum. Okay, thank you. It's not written down. It was. No, it wasn't. I didn't change it. I didn't change it. It wasn't there. Honest to God. I didn't change it. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> so. All right, folks. So I did the, the show calendar for the day, and it's missing his title. So that's, yeah. that's what we're talking about uh-huh. here. He is the MacArthur Curator of Mammals at the Field Museum. Yeah. Um, and a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. He does uh, a lot uh, of things. Yeah. The, uh, and, but you got that right. I don't know how you remember MacArthur Curator of Mammals. In the Int- Integrative Research Center at the Field Museum of Natural History of Chicago. Anyway, he knows a lot about bats. That's the point. Uh, and he's done studies of Kenyan bats, and uh, he, he, uh, that's, that's some of what he's doing. We'll talk maybe about the little brown bat, which is one of the 12 priority species for Chicago wilderness that they're raising money for. And you should go to chicagowilderness.org and click on one of the species that you like and help preserve them in our region because that program is still going on. Uh, so that's 9.30, and right now, we have people sitting right here. Whoops, I meant to turn <laughs> on their mics, not turn. I, I always get that backward here. I don't know. I, the, the red light, I always assume the red light means you're on. That's always it, but here it's the red light is you're, Stop. you're <laughs> muted. Um, we have uh, Kim Hankins, who's the director of the Sustainability Center of McHenry County College, um, and they're having their big green expo next week. In fact, Peggy and I are going to be there. That's um, 10 to 3, I believe, are the, the hours. Uh, and she dragged down here with her. I, I'm sure it was, uh, uh, was, was this a favor being returned in some way? No. Karen Wenzel, yeah. owner of Blazing Star Nursery in Woodstock. I'm trying to remember the last time you and I saw each other. Uh, it was a uh, Mayo Underwoods. That's what I thought. Place, yeah. And we were like around this pond looking for like weird plants or something. Well, we <laughs> we were just kind of touring the land, and yeah, she, you know. But uh, that's true. And uh, um, tell me a little bit about about Blazing Star. Well, uh, where to start? Um, I, I wear a lot of hats. I'm kind of like one of those 
performers that takes a hat off and then you know juggles the hats on, on their heads. I, I, <laughs> gosh, I've never done anything like that in I my no life. No idea what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> well, I, that's me. And uh, what 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 do I do? Um, we have native plant nursery where I do consulting and I kind of specialize in small people's homes, like you know under one acre, how to have let them have a natural yard mm-hmm. and. Um, or prairie, or I, I tell them though. I tell people there's no such thing as a natural garden. <laughs> I do because yeah. you know um, you go out in your yard. You're doing it under power lines. There's a cyclone fence there. There's a there's an asphalt driveway. It's abnormal. There's a, the the land has been completely disturbed. The, you know all of the original biology has been messed with. Uh, the original plant material has been messed with. There are invasives in there. And even if you plant a coneflower, I say, you know, good for you. Glad you're doing it. But d- don't tell me you have a natural garden. Right, exactly. Uh, so what I do is I kind of go in all different areas. of the. I wander the ecosystems. And <laughs> I do uh, – um, I've done 10-acre prairies, which – I would say is as close to as natural as you can get. That, that, that gets much better. Yeah, and, and then I also t- teach uh, permaculture at the College of Lake County. I have a um, p- permaculture certificate to teach permaculture out of horticulture, and then I also I sell a lot of seed. Hold on. I'm going to move this because when you're talking to me, I want you talking that way. Whoops, I'm sorry. <laughs> Watch my coffee. The coffee. I'm trying to, to, to kill the coffee a, here. It's not... Let's not have that happen again. Oh, so I can look at you? <laughs> yeah, so you can actually look at me and talk at the same time. It's gotcha. a wonderful thing. <laughs> this thing is like a doctor's office. <laughs> okay, here we are. Uh, so where was I? Um, yeah, so anyway, um, I teach and I do consulting and I put in prairies and I sell lots of seed and I also do agricultural consulting and I do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of it yeah and you also work at mchenry county college yes oh uh, wait no no you're no. lake county what 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 Did yeah you? i look i work at lake county college but you know maybe we should send this over to kim but i've been on this no no we're not gonna let kim talk at all <laughs> okay uh well was gonna say how i ended up here <laughs> oh wow oh that's okay that's I'm, fine. I'm fine i'll just sit here in the corner okay mom that's me. You got it. <laughs> well, I've been doing sustainability with Kim before Kim showed up, and that actually helped. Before start. she even knew what sustainability was, right? Is that what you're saying? No, no she knew what sustainability <laughs> was. That's why they oh, got boy. her. Um, and well, the thing is, we I started a long, long, long time ago at MCC, and I was like, they originally, I was the business, the business person on the sustainability uh, pioneers committee at MCC. MCC. Uh oh. Hold on one second. Uh-oh. I just saw a thing on Twitter. The Q4 radio jingle keeps interrupting the broadcast. Oh. Uh, that's not good. That can't be good. Huh. Well, uh, I think maybe Mr. Ibera needs to know about this. Is Let us know if it's still happening out there. Uh, 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 Jackie, thank you for for tweeting that. Um, if, if anybody else is having that problem, just you know, shoot us a line because... We can't hear the program from here. We can wander out in the hall and hear it, but we can't hear it in here. Are you going to do that? I'll go wander okay, out in the hall. Okay. <laughs> Peggy's going to go wander out in the hall. So I'm so sorry. With the cell phone in hand. Uh, with the cell phone uh, and the, the monitors out there. Uh, so sorry to interrupt, Karen. Oh, 
Well, it's okay. Okay. So where were we? Uh, sustainability. Right. At Bioneers at McHenry County College started a long time ago. Is it 10 years now? Just about. Yeah, yeah just about. And so we, you know, I was on the original committee, and I was working with, at the time, the sustainability coordinator, Pat Decoff, who retired three years ago? Yep, three years. And so we kind of had this, like, brain <laughs> thing going on. And said, hey, let's do Bioneers, and how are we going to pay for it? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that always the question, though? How are we going to pay for it? That's what, that's like the chief... Uh, question of anybody in the environmental world is how are we going to pay for it i have no idea there's no people with big money that's going to give us big money the big money stuff is all into destroying the environment not not recreating it and protecting it totally so we just i would disagree actually i think in mchenry county we have an amazing uh group of environmentalists and well i know you do but you're you're cheating because you're in mchenry county that's true i've I've always said you know because i've gone out there to speak before and been to events there and they're my feeling is there must be something in the water in McHenry <laughs> County because people pay attention. Uh, although, you know, you're in, because uh, we've talked about it on the show this year, I forget with who from McHenry County, but the, the county is changing. Uh, oh, I know who, Michelle Byrne Walsh, okay, and uh, who who is an editor for some of the uh, state-by-state gardening magazines, including Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. Um, and the suburbs are encroaching from the southeast side, right, and sort of threatening to envelop the county. Well, I think that's why there's such a nice balance, and we do get such a commitment for environmental issues is because we have suburbia and we have agriculture. We've got it all, and Mm -hmm. then that sort of blend in the middle, we learn to work with each other and um, respect each other as much as we can. Oh, that's so overrated. Sorry. That that whole (laughs) working together stuff, nah, nah. It happens once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. at any rate, uh, so let's let's talk about that a little bit of the McHenry County and the. Are we okay there? I don't hear anything. Okay, else. you don't. I mean, I hear the radio. I I hear the broadcast, but I don't hear the interruption. So oh. please tweet us if it keeps happening. Uh, Jackie, if you're still listening, um, Casey Tomato says the jingle is not a problem from the tune-in stream, so that's good. Not happening. Uh, Snappy J Dog says the same thing. Um, I think it's probably just the Q4 stream. Uh, we, uh, yeah, so... The internet Q4 stream, not the one I'm hearing out there. Yeah, because the uh, Wisconsin Vegetable Gardeners are out there listening today. There we go. Give them a ding. Uh, I, I know. I got an environmental report I owe you. Okay, you'll get it. You'll get it in the next couple of days. Um, and they say it sounds good on the Simple Radio app. Yeah, they sent me a, um, a, a Facebook uh, message the other day. Something called Simple Radio. I had, had no idea. But we like I, Simple. But we're on it, I guess. So we like Q4 simple. is on it. So there's all kinds of ways to listen to the show. And thank you, all you folks who are tweeting in and letting us know the status of our signal <laughs> that we can't figure out for ourselves here. Oh okay. But uh, back to Kim Hankins, uh, Director of Sustainability Center at McHenry County College, and Karen Wenzel from Blazing Star Nursery. Uh, Kim. Um, so you've got this county and people are very aware of things, but you've got this college that is also doing a lot of sustainable stuff. One of the things I noted is that you guys won an award this year from iGen. Mm -hmm. Um, tell me about that. Yeah, it was a really huge honor because it was from our peers. iGen is the Illinois Green Economy Network and we're a consortium of, I think, 39 community colleges. So there's 
people just like me in all different levels doing all different stuff at all sorts of different community colleges all the way down to Johnny Logan at the bottom of the at the state. So we all work together and we find that definitely safety in numbers. We at get a least lot you didn't done. say bottom of the barrel. That's what well, I said. didn't. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> don't get me in trouble. I know. I, I'm, I'm a bad boy today. I don't know what's going on. It's just something wrong. It's those bison, right? It's, it's the bison. It's the, bison. It's the, it's the apple. apple. It, it was it's the apple. It's, it's a bad it's apple. The apple. So they were really great. They gave us this wonderful award to kind of recognize uh-huh. what we've been doing and what we've accomplished in the last few years. And so we're really honored to get it from well, our peers. Well, before we talk um, about the event next Saturday, that Peggy and I will be part of. Um, tell us a little bit about what's going on at the college. I, you know, I noted some of the things in uh, my blog post. Uh, you guys uh, have uh, are, are, are working with with solar, solar panels, and your your cafeteria does a lot of sustainable stuff. You've got doing food waste assessments on campus. Um, you redid a building had ninety one percent recycling rate. We did. Oh. Yep, that was one of our construction projects a year or two ago. <clears throat> did really well with that. Is this all at your instigation? How does this work? Oh, no. There's a committee. We have uh, definitely some commitments at a lot, a lot of different levels at MCC, which really makes a difference. So mm-hmm. um, definitely I'm um, probably that person when it comes to the meetings, they go, oh, no, not her again. <laughs> and, uh, See, it is you. Okay, I get it. But then again, we do get a few things done. Uh, we have a great um, sustainability committee, which is staff and faculty, and we have a lot of fun with them. So it works out really well. But, yeah, you mentioned some of the our bigger stuff. Our solar energy is at our satellite campus in McHenry. And um, we have about 90 kilowatts out there, and that powers about half to three quarters of that building. So that's a lot of fun, and we like. And we've um, it's, well, it's not just fun. It, it, yeah, it's it's very efficient. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's okay. It's, um, now you, you talk about a 35 percent recycling rate. I couldn't figure out if that was for the cafeteria or the campus overall. That's for the campus overall. Wow. I, I would have to say that's one of our toughest issues because people just take recycling for granted and. We have we bought these new containers. They're really great. They've got a we have a mixed stream, which obviously takes paper right. and plastic and cardboard all that stuff, and then we have a garbage stream. And just getting people to understand the difference and taking the time to stop for just a millisecond. Here, okay, here's here's the thing it. I don't get now, because I've been talking about this for almost twenty years, and Me even too. even okay, so <laughs> even twenty years ago, the conventional wisdom was don't worry the kids are learning this and they're going to drag their parents into it well we're 20 years down the road and you're dealing with college kids and they don't know how to recycle so what happened where's the breakdown it's a, <clears throat> it's a good question because i, I, I you know this is something i've railed about on this show before um when i get off the uh train if i'm riding the train uh, the, the red line and get off at fullerton cuz then i take it west to go home there's a grocery store right there it used to be a dominic's now it's i think a whole foods and these are depaul kids and yeah i'm busting you depaul kids <laughs> um nobody brings their own bag yeah. they're all using the bags that they're they're handing out you're the future the fu- is the future bankrupt is that, is that the deal here you guys didn't learn anything when you're in grade school i don't get it the only thing I see is just a really inconsistent nature of it all. I mean, you go from one place to the next. The garbage cans are different. The recycling containers are different. Where the information that's getting sent to the public changes all the time. And if we could just come up with a little bit more consistent message for everybody, from kindergartners to 75-year-olds, we would be better off, definitely. And that's one of the toughest parts. I, and I think you're absolutely right about that. It's gotten to the point where 
we need to have the consistency of the message. And we, you're right. All the uh, even in, um, okay, look at the park district in Chicago versus the uh, blue blue cart program. All right, they're different kinds of containers. They're different colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one's blue, but it's a dark blue. Uh, that's the park district. And then the light blue or the royal blue is what you have in the alleys. Uh, and that confuses people. You'd, you'd think that the city could actually get together and, and figure this out, but no, that's not happening. Well, and blue used to mean blue. Well, it used to be green. We'd have green containers for our recycling, and now blue is recycling, mm-hmm. and green might be compost, but not everybody composts, so it's just yeah. it's confusing. And it, it changed up in the suburbs, too. We yeah. had blue and green, and now it's blue and blue. Yeah. Yeah, so there needs to be consistency. And same with the I, I would think that uh, green would mean compost, blue would mean recycling, and black would mean everything that's else. That's kind of where it's headed. We're definitely, that's, that's the goal right there. Yeah, because three. that's the way they do it in San Francisco. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and they are one of the most successful recycling cities in the world. The mothership. Yes. Yeah, there we are. Well, they, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they came in from outer space, landed on the bay. <laughs> People say that about Austin, Texas, too. Mm-hmm. You know, that mm-hmm. Austin, that it was a spaceship that just landed in the really middle of Texas. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, As opposed to Seattle, where they just picked up the country and went like this <laughs> and shook it all over there. So, <laughs> so uh, let's let's talk about the uh, the big event next uh, next Saturday. You brought some posters I with did. you. Oh, I good. Some stuff. I've got a poster about the expo with all of our. I want to drive a Tesla. Posters. How do I do that? <laughs> We'll start saving your money. No, and, uh, no, no, that I still have to set up for you. And what? Here, let's let's see those those posters Here's while all we're of our here. Sponsors, we love all our sponsors, including you guys. I Thank see the Mike so Novak much. show on there. I Mike see Novak, Natural, Natural Awakenings on there. And then there's our poster with all of our little fun little. We have a new logo this year, a little circle, mm-hmm. and uh, some of our highlights on the bottom. Well, t- well, tell us about what's what, what's going to be going on there. Um, oh boy! I know um, there's a, it's a lot. All right, well, but that's that's okay. why you're here. That's right. That's why I'm here. Um, well, I think one of the biggest draws we had last year is we had a tiny house, but the tiny house they were going to bring sold 24 hours before they were going to bring it, so they brought us a shell of one. It was still very cool, but this year they're bringing us a tiny house that's fully decorated and was on just wheels. On yeah. wheels, it'll be on a flatbed. Yep. You know. Um, uh, Corbett and uh, I'm, I'm forgetting her name, uh, Lunsford. Uh, the Lunsfords have a tiny house on wheels. That they've been driving all around the country and shooting video and awesome. having presentations. And I interviewed them last year um, and because uh, he had a, 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 a energy efficiency company here. And then they decided they had a brand new baby on the way. And so, they, you know, what a great time to move into a tiny house uh, and, and drive around the country. But they did. And every now and then I get an email from them and says, we're going to be Chicago way. And I keep trying to get them. They, I, I want them to drive here on a Sunday morning. You know, you got to go on their schedule. And I'm like, no, 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 no. you got to go on my schedule. On Sunday morning, I want you in the parking lot here at Q4 Pirate <laughs> Radio. So we Pirate can broadcast Radio. from yeah. the tiny house. Exactly. So, so we'll see if we can make that happen. But tiny cool. houses are a thing. It is really a thing. People are really liking that minimalistic lifestyle. I personally have Where do you put tried. all your junk, man? Yeah. If you don't if you if you have a tiny house. Somebody asked me the other day, where do you put your Christmas decorations? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. But uh, yeah, we got a lot of other stuff going on. We got our, we take over the entire gym from at McHenry County College. We have about seventy vendors inside the gym, ranging all sorts of organizations and uh, 
Everybody. We got everybody there. And you, then, you're even doing, uh, speaking of recycling, a recycling drive. Yep. But you're doing it in, okay, this is, this is interesting. You, have you teamed up with a recycler here to do this? We work with the Defenders, the Environmental Defenders of McHenry County. They're a nonprofit, and they do a monthly recycling drive, and they uh-huh. opted to have it this month at the Green Living Expo. So they work with a recycler. They do, yeah. yeah. And uh, folks should know, if you're out McHenry, well, first of all, do you accept re- recycled items from people who outside the county? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's good. But you're going to have to pay a little bit of fee. That's right. A little fee that that goes with this. But, see, in my world, that makes sense. I think we have gotten past the point where you just assume everything's for free. You throw your garbage away for free, and it, and it goes magically goes away someplace that you never have to worry about. And your recycling goes away for free magically. They take it apart, <laughs> and they do all kinds of wonderful things. I was talking to some, uh, Marta Keen. In Will County, mm-hmm. you must know her. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, in yeah. there, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, we were talking the other day. I was, we were talking about this article that uh, I saw in Grist um, about um, this robot that Apple has um, created that takes apart their phones and other computers. The problem is it it grinds a lot of that stuff into powder, and it's very wasteful in some respect. You know, Apple wants to position itself as we're so efficient and we recycle stuff but they're wasting a lot of it and the point of the article in grist was keep using that phone until it falls apart in your hands and that's our problem it's like every six months we're, we're out getting a new one well guess what happens to the one that was there it's still got apparently 70 different elements in it half of the periodic table is in a, a smartphone that you hold in your hand that's a little too. scary it isn't is scary. it yep I think iridium's in, in there. If we got, what else we got? But anyway, gallium arsenide. But, but, but the point is, the McHenry County Defenders. Um, if you've got batteries, it's fifty cents per pound um, for household batteries. Fluorescent tubes are fifty to a dollar each. Uh, TVs, which everybody's trying to get rid of now, and that's creating a huge problem in the state of Illinois. Huge problem. Yep. Yeah. Have you addressed that at all? I mean, yeah, we talk a lot about, I'm also on the board with the Defenders, so I do get the opportunity to have these conversations about the recycling of TVs and computer monitors, and it's it's just not a good situation in Illinois right now. We don't have a great waste stream. We don't have a perfect way to do it, and every county is just trying to approach it the best way they can. And we're going to talk about it on the show because I recently joined the board of the Illinois Recycling Association. Great. Okay. And I did a talk at... Um, uh, the um, uh, environmental um, Illinois Environmental Council had a, a town hall at Chicago Botanic Garden, and I spoke for seven minutes on how and why the e-waste bill in Illinois isn't working. It's not working. It's not and it was just rejiggered uh, in, like, 2012, and it became obsolete in 2014 or thereabouts. And now these TVs are piling up, and people get in their cars, and they come to these events. And suddenly at, you know, 10 a.m., they're shutting the doors because all the vans have filled up because everybody wants to recycle, but they want to do it for free. Right. And that's the problem. we got to get back. You know, I'm sorry, folks. You bought it. You, you have some responsibility for this item. Now, we don't put enough of the responsibility on the manufacturers either. So I'm not letting the manufacturers off the hook. They should be paying more uh, because you're creating this stuff. But the consumer does bear responsibility. If you want to use the stuff, by golly, you got to pay for it at the end of its useful life. 
Absolutely. That's, yeah. that's the way I think. It's a hard message to get across. People show up at these recycling drives with 10, 15 TVs or computer monitors, and they're angry. They have to pay money for it, and they're angry and they're upset, and we do our best to try and explain that, you know, we're providing a service and cost money to transport all that stuff. It's very, very heavy. Yeah. And it costs a lot of money to get it from point A to point B. Um, so we spent a lot of time on that, but uh, let's a, f- a few more things that are going on there uh, next week. Yeah, one thing we have that's new this year is we have this eco-friendly idea and tool sharing tent. Yeah, I thought that was cool. It's kind of fun. So we, one of our other committee members, Karen's on our committee too, our planning committee, um, came up with this idea because she and her husband have tried out a bunch of different of the electric snowblowers and lawnmowers. And really? Have you, Karen? Yeah. We have an electric snowblower that works Really, really? Wow. You're kidding me? No, I wouldn't yes. think. I would. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't get yeah, who, who, I know because I have an electric lawnmower. I have. Uh, we have an electric lawnmower too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've got actually two because somebody else gave me one, and uh, so I've got uh, like a. It's a uh, one's a Black and Decker and one's a Newton, mm-hmm. and the Newton actually has a string trimmer attachment on the front, and I love my Newton because <laughs> yes, it's all you know. It's a battery. You, you and then and it's you recharge. So the battery. quiet. And it's really quiet, and you just and all you do is flip a switch, and now you're string trimming. And I got a tiny yard, so you know I'm not going to do an acre with this thing. We have an That's, acre. We have an acre. So what about <laughs> your electric lawnmowers? Well, we use one electric lawnmower. We have an electric uh, battery-powered string trimmer, and we have a snowblower. But I'll have I have a slight. Yeah, I got to say we do have a bigger lawn tractor for the majority of the rest that needs to be mowed, but we've taken half an acre out of cultivation mm-hmm. uh, by having all sorts of gardens all through the yard. So it's planning, planning ahead. And we have been, our string trimmer is so old, we've replaced the battery in it like three times. And plus my husband is like Mr. Electrical Geek. And oh so dear. he's got solar. He can come to my place and fix all my <laughs> stuff for me if he wants. He's got solar panels that charge the lawnmower. And it's, you know, it, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. But that's exactly what we're trying to do is bring those stories. Yeah. We want people, like, just exactly the story you just told. To yeah, come yeah, to, yeah. Come to the expo and share that information with each other. And so other people won't be so, quite so intimidated by buying a tool that's a little different. Well, and I love the idea of the idea workshop and the tool workshop. So, yeah, explain how this – so they will try some of these mm-hmm. items. I, I see. I wouldn't have believed that a snowblower, electric snowblower, would work. It's um, when we first. Well, I'll I'll be real honest. When we first bought it, it was like, oh my gosh, is this gonna work? <laughs> so why why did you get it? Well, because my husband didn't want to. I don't want another gas powered two cycle engine. And by gum, I'm not going to do it. Good so, for him. And so give he, that man a ding. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And so we bought this thing. It was on sale at, where did we get it? Um, Arm and Feet, uh, Farm and Fleet. Okay, Blaine's. Uh, Blaine's, Farm. Blaine's yeah. Farm and Fleet. Yeah. And um, it was on sale, and we just got it. Or And so we started using it, and there you have it. <clears throat> so, and it worked. And, we, you know, we've had some big snowstorms, and it had that real heavy snow that was all wet and nasty and partially ice and we yeah. ran up and down the driveway with it and we have a 75 foot driveway and lo and behold it cleaned it we were like wow this cool. is unreal wow. i want one of these now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um all right we're running out of time here um so anyway the the point is i love the idea that you're going to bring people into a room and talk about products ideas just yeah. ways that you get creative uh, and, and uh, environmentally friendly. And just lessening your footprint just a little bit. Yeah. You know, just a little, every little and bit I helps. think that's kind of the, the trick here 
overall in the world is if if you hold people to a standard they can't possibly meet, you're not going to get anything done. But if you say, just do one thing today or this week mm-hmm. or this month, please, anything, just just figure out how to recycle something, you know, that you've never recycled before because uh, it can be done for the most part. Uh, it's hard sometimes, and that's the thing about recycling that has really frustrated me because I've been in the recycling world uh, for about a dozen years, and um, it doesn't seem to get any easier. In fact, we, it seems to get more complex as we move on. There's no question. And that's one of the things actually we do at the Sustainability Center. We create this document called the Green Guide. It's a recycling directory. It is really focused on McHenry County, but we try and hit all You guys all are the... so selfish. I know. What can I say? <laughs> but we do. It, go, it goes beyond that, too. There's a lot of mail and stuff. So for this one, we have the sort of top 10 category. We get about 50, 60 calls a month for recycling in the sure. Sustainability Center. So we pick the most popular ones and put this one. But then on our website, uh, we've got probably 250 listings, everything from tennis balls to thermostats wow. and all sorts of well, stuff. Well, tennis balls go to your dog. That's this how that works, yeah. That is uh, what, that's right. But, but, but the one thing I will say is people do want to recycle. They There are a lot of people who do, uh, and it, they're frustrated too. So we need to help those people do the right thing. All right, the uh, uh, Green Living Expo next Saturday, 10 to 3, at uh, McHenry County College, the address is? 8900 U.S. Highway 14 in Crystal Lake. And if you want more information, go to mchenry.edu slash green expo. Uh, and Karen, give us Blazing Stars information. Uh, Blazing Stars website is www.blazing-star.com. Yeah, the first time I looked it up, I, I forgot the hyphen. Yeah. Everybody forgets the hyphen. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't find it. Do you have a Facebook page? I do, uh, Blazing Blazing Star. Uh, there's just you know, ask for to friend Blazing I, I probably, Star. I probably yeah. actually linked to it uh, yesterday and didn't Blazing even. Blazing Star Inc. Blazing, Blazing Star, Star Inc. Inc. Yes, there you go. Yes, who yeah. has liked the Mike Novak show? Thank you very much. Whoever's working that back home for you that's the way we like it it's like if we're gonna if we're gonna put yours up there we want you to put ours up there too oh absolutely it's it's the two cycle engine guy that did oh was it yeah thank you two cycle engine guy Uh, uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing it's a good it's a good thing okay uh thank you both for coming down because i know it's it's a schlep but on a sunday morning it's usually not too bad so we we really appreciate it, and we'll see you guys yeah, next Saturday. We're really Saturday. we're really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Food Tank is excited to announce the first annual Food Tank Summit in Chicago on November sixteenth at the Gleacher Center. More than thirty different speakers from the food and agriculture field, including researchers, farmers, chefs, policymakers, government officials, and students, who I will teach how to use um, re- reusable bags. Uh, We'll come together for interactive panels moderated by top food journalists. After the summit, join Food Tank for a reception and dinner at Chef Mario Batali's Italy. The Mike Novak Show is proud to be a media sponsor of this event. Learn more and buy your tickets at foodtanksummit.com. Mike Novak Show listeners get $50 off with the code Mike, it's really simple. Did you know that Genesis is the Midwest's largest source of airbrush supplies? Find out more at chicagoairbrushsupply.com or artsupply.com. 
or stop into their showroom at 2525 North Elston and say that you heard about them on Q4 Radio or the Mike Novak Show, and you'll get an extra 10% off their already discounted prices. Genesis, Chicago's only privately owned art supplier, serving all of Chicago's artistic framing and drafting needs since 1946. This is Mike Novak for Chicago Wilderness in my own Logan Square Wilderness. You can friend a person on social media, but how do you friend a native plant or animal that is in danger of going extinct, like the monarch butterfly or Blanding's turtle or the little brown bat? 12 Animals in 12 Weeks is a campaign campaign to support critical species and their habitats in our region. Friend an animal species today. Go to chicagowilderness.org species. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in the Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to live healthier lives and Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings, it's the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids and even healthy pets. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to help keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Chicago and suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us online at nachicagonorth.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Trying to weather the housing market? Consider replacing your windows and siding. Remodeling Magazine says they're some of the nation's most popular projects today. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling and energy needs. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. See, I had to do a little Halloween action. That's mm-hmm. why we had uh, young Frankenstein. Uh, Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Right. Stand by. Michael Jackson. Playing all the hits on Q4. Your oldies. No, your dusty station. We are very dusty. In fact, I've been sneezing all morning. All right, let's go back. Uh, no, we haven't gone there yet. Let's. Now go to the phone and uh, bring in Bruce Patterson. Bruce, are you with us? Good. How are you? Great. Bruce is uh, from the uh, Field Museum. He is a curator of mammals at the Field Museum. Good. The MacArthur Curator of Mammals. And Bruce, what is the Integrative Center? What What does that mean? The Integrative Research Center is the unit of the museum that's focused on uh, research on the diversity of life and cultures uh, around the world. So. Oh, and, and what is uh, the MacArthur part of it? Is it the fact that they've, they're, they're funding it? The MacArthur Foundation and has been supportive of many Chicago institutions, among them the Field Museum, and that endowment was uh, named in recognition of the support of the MacArthur Foundation. 
the so you're the MacArthur Curator of Mammals at the Integrative Research Center. And um, just to let you know, the MacArthur people have let me down for years. Um, I've just been waiting for uh, a genius grant. Um, I sit by the phone when I I know they're about to come out and. Uh, it's never, never shown up, um, but I'm ready. Bad cell reception. It, I think that's it. Yeah. I think they lost my email address and my phone number and my and my Facebook account and my Twitter and my yeah. Instagram. They lost all of that. I don't know what happened there. So happy Bat Week, Bruce. Oh, thanks. And to you. <laughs> well, you know, for you, it's 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 a big deal. I think it's very cool. Uh, that there is such a thing as Bat Week, and if, if you folks go on your social media and hashtag Bat Week, uh, you might actually get some stuff up there pop up for you. Um, what what does Bat Week mean to you, Bruce? Well, I, I, bats are an incredibly important part of the world around us. Uh, they're small and active at night, so we don't uh, appreciate they aren't apparent to many of us as we go through our lives, but bats are constantly at work and providing really vital ecosystem services. Uh, in North America, all of our bats uh, in the U.S. and Canada consume flying insects, and these flying insects are, of course, responsible for most of the agricultural damage that we sustain as a society. It's been estimated that bats alone are responsible for contributing three to fifty billion dollars that's billion with a B to US agriculture by consuming crop destroying insects. Wow. All so right. we would be growing three to fifty billion dollars less produce or we'd be spending that amount of money on pesticides if bats weren't in the picture. And so Bat Week is really an opportunity for us all to sit back and appreciate these uh, remarkable creatures who are busy at work helping to maintain healthy environments around us. But I would assume, Bruce, that bats don't really discriminate. It's not as if they're after the the pests that are ruining crops. They're 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 eating pretty much any insect they come in contact with, right? They are, and uh, the the fact of the matter is that uh, they're largely eating flying insects in this part of uh, the U.S., and those flying insects include the reproductive stages of moths and beetles that whose larvae are really at work in uh, agricultural fields. So the cotton bollworm, for example, is a notorious pest-related uh, uh, tobacco, cotton, Tomato, bollworms, all of these things have moths as the reproductive phase, and bats are hammering them away. So it really is important as an agricultural pest. It's important for timber, controlling pests of uh, uh, healthy forests. Uh, in other parts of the world, of course, bats play much more diverse roles as uh, seed dispersers and tropical forests and uh, they're basically little Johnny Appleseeds because they consume fruits and fly off and 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, uh, take a poop, and that poop is a nicely uh, fertilized set of seeds that is lands on the forest floor and allows trees to propagate themselves throughout the tropical forest. That's uh, also pollinate plants. Yeah. Uh, bananas. 
the the iconic baobab tree in Africa, its only known pollinator are the epauletted fruit bats. Really? I didn't know that. So I, I, they, they really are sort of important shapers of the world around us, even though we don't, uh, most of us don't see their, their roles in real time. Well, and we don't appreciate them. Uh, bats have uh, a really bad reputation. People are afraid of... Well, when when I was a kid, don't let a bat get in your hair. Your bat will get in your hair, and that was the the. Is that a myth, by the way? Totally. I, you know, I I, I spend uh, part of my working life in bat roosts, and I've been in <clears throat> caves in Puerto Rico with three to four hundred thousand bats, <laughs> and they all need to come in and go out through a single entrance, and. Uh, at, at emergence time, at dusk, when the bats actually come out of the cave, there's a, it's like flowing water, the number of bats, mm-hmm. and you can stand in the, midst, in the midst of all that activity, and they will not even touch you, <laughs> much less get caught in your hair. Yeah, wow. I was looking at your, your video on YouTube of the bats in the cave in Kenya. And yeah, they were nowhere near anybody. It was, it was just like this layer of bats above everybody. Well, if you know, if you think about it for a moment, if a bat has good enough echolocation, sort of a sonar sense, to be able to locate a flying insect that's taking evasive action, trying to avoid it as a predator, they're not going to bump into something as big and stationary as a human being standing there. So it's, it's only in the rarest cases and when they're... Uh, alarm that a bat would even touch you uh, with the end of its wing if mm-hmm. it had any choice in the matter. Well, you know, getting back to when I was a kid and we would go out at dusk and we would see bats, um, which is interesting because that was a common occurrence in the suburbs of Detroit when I was a kid. I don't I don't know if that happens much anymore. but the, It, it the, does in some places. In I, some, I see bats. Okay. And we would... Uh, we would throw rocks in the air um, and watch the bats dive. So was that their sonar picking up on that? Oh, certainly, yeah. And, uh, you know, I have a project on bats in Kenya, a country in East Africa right on the equator. And uh, we've uh, part of our work is to record their echolocation calls. And some of the bats are so big and so fast-flying that there's no way to record those calls in a flight chamber. And so we'll go into the uh, cave, we'll collect them at the roost site, we'll bring them outside the cave, and then release them in open air, and as they fly off, we'll record their voices as they uh, echolocate. But in the course of doing this, we attracted a number of birds of prey as we were releasing these bats. and. I, I recall one occasion where we had five uh, uh, black kites, and kites are uh, uh, members of the hawk family. Mm-hmm. They're all in the air taking turns trying to grab this bat who was momentarily disoriented and uh, hadn't yet figured out that his cave was just a couple hundred yards away and that he could fly in and uh, go back to sleep. And these five kites took turns 
dive bombing this bat, and the bat was able to avoid all of them and flew off wow. and eventually found his way back into the cave. But That's good. Uh, those bats were in no danger of being hit by your rock. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, no. We were <laughs> a long-winded way. Yeah, yeah no, 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 no. I thrown some rocks at them. But. No, we, you know, the, the point was we never threw the rocks to hit the bats. We threw them up in the air to watch them dive. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no. We were we to watch them go after it. Yeah, we wanted to yeah. watch them. Yeah, we because that's what we assumed they were doing. That they were picking it up on their whatever the their superpower yeah. is and uh, and following the, the thinking it was an insect. And then of course they would give up when they saw it wasn't behaving like an insect. Uh, but yeah, we just thought that was the coolest thing. All right, well let's talk about. We know that uh, there are. Uh, there's a disease in the United States, um, the white nose syndrome, uh, which is um, wiping out bats in some cases, yeah. in certain species. I think is, it actually came from Europe initially, didn't it? It did. And is this now a problem worldwide? No, it's, it's a problem in the U.S. Uh, at the moment, I think it's the count is now 29 U.S. states and five Canadian provinces have uh, uh, a disease called white-nose syndrome. White-nose syndrome is caused by a fungus that's native to Europe. And in 2006, uh, uh, a strange occurrence was noted uh, in a cave outside Albany, New York. So we're talking 10 years ago. Uh, people noticed that all sorts of bats that were roosting in this cave had uh, sort of a cottony substance appearing on their faces and so on. Uh, the bats were subject to sort of spontaneous arousal. Uh, they woke up in the middle of winter. They flew around the cave. They exhausted their energy supplies. And more than 90% of those bats died. And this this... It was named white-nose syndrome because of the sort of cottony fibers uh, that appeared near their, their noses. But this, this fungus also attacks wing membranes and other parts of the body. But uh, this fungus grows only on hibernating bats. And so, for example, we have, we have bats in Illinois, southern Illinois, that are migratory, that had... Uh, head south for the winter, uh, bats from, that occur all the way up into Canada that roost in trees, none of those bats are subject to white-nose syndrome. Hmm. Uh, tropical bats, because they don't hibernate, are also uh, immune from white-nose syndrome. They never come into contact with this cave-inhabiting fungus. It would appear that this fungus is uh, a lot like smallpox was in uh, among human populations and that uh, this is a, a, a disease that came from Europe to North America and just as smallpox was proved virulent and ran amok through Native American populations when they were first exposed to this disease that was uh, tolerated at some level by European populations. Uh, the same thing seems to be true for white-nose syndrome because this fungus grows in caves in Europe where bats roost, and they're actually relatives of the bats that 
are so strongly affected by white nose syndrome in the U.S. So this is a this is a complicated question. It's really decimated American bats, uh, regardless of the development of the the disease syndrome. It has wiped out between five and six million bats in eastern North America. Wow. And, uh, it's really taken a toll on bat populations throughout the east. You know, um, and by the way, we're talking to Bruce Patterson uh, from the Field Museum. Uh, the same, uh, around the same time, and, I, and I'm wondering if, if you or any of your colleagues have noted that this is about, 2006 was about the same time that colony collapse disorder began happening with bees. So at the same time, we were losing these uh, animals uh, that helped pollinate, and in, in the case of bats, uh, that were predators of insects. Um, it's kind of a one-two punch, wouldn't you think? No, it's, it's nature is definitely... Uh on the ropes here, and uh, we're, we're losing predators of insects, we're losing insect pollinators, and the proliferation uh, of genetically modified organisms that contain built-in pesticides are implicated by some as uh, uh, responsible for things like colony collapse in bees. Mm-hmm. The, yes. The, the background exposure to these insecticides is suppressing insect populations so we don't get their eco- ecosystem services. And since bats are up there on the food pyramid uh, and really depend on healthy uh, ecosystem function below them, they can't uh, find the insects they need to sustain their populations. One of the issues with bats that's really critical is that bats have a very low reproductive rate. So uh, a bat will, typical bat will give birth to a single offspring once per year. And so when a disease like white-nose syndrome wipes out 90% of a colony, it takes a very long time for that, the remaining individuals to build the colony back up. And that's, that's in the absence of things like global warming and uh, rampant pesticide exposure and so on, so that uh, we we really do need to look at this as a case of the canary in the coal mine and say, what are we doing to our environment, and can it continue to provide the, the sort of healthy envelope we as humans need? Bruce, the problem is right now there are too many canaries in the coal mine. We have bats, we have our, our honeybees, we have monarch butterfly. Um, uh, you know, we could probably, off the top of our heads, list six or ten species um, that uh, are in peril. And uh, it, it, it should be enough for all of us to wake up and do something about it. So along that line, I've got about a minute left here. What can folks do if they want to help bats? Don't use pesticides. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. That's that's always what we talk about in this show. Any anyone who has uh, anyone who has uh, support uh, healthy forests and forest preserves where these creatures can find uh, live alongside us and perform their services around us. Uh, bat houses are a great uh, a great way to provide bats uh, a summer roosting place. 
these uh, these houses are tend to be occupied by bats that hibernate, and so during during the summer, these they'll hibernate in caves during the winter, but they need a summer place to stay. These are the bats that end up in attics and garages and barns, uh, where sometimes they're not very pleasant to have as uh, close neighbors, but uh, a bat box on a pole out in the yard will, uh, like a Martin house, will provide uh, these insect-eating mammals a place to live. They'll eat all of your flying insects and provide you with a nice, enjoyable yard to sit out in. And so that certainly is one of the things we could we could do so there you go folks stop using the pesticides create some bad houses some bad habitat um and uh, just be aware and find information about bat week since we're coming up on halloween and don't think of bats in the bella lugosi vein think of them as uh, as friends yes. yeah helpful allies for uh, for us uh, well, Bruce, uh, thank you so much. Bruce uh, Patterson, the MacArthur Curator of Mammals in the Integrative Research Center at the Field Museum. Uh, Bruce, I'd love to have you on the show again. Maybe sometime um, you can actually come down to the studio. Sure. I, I, uh, sorry I couldn't be there today. Uh, no problem. No problem with that. Thank you for your time. You have a great Sunday, okay? Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Peggy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio, second hour. We are talking bison. This is going to be fun. It might be a little crazy. I, I can see one of the calls coming in now, so we'll deal There's with it. There's a whole herd of them coming, right? You betcha. Well, that comes up next. Stick around. Don't you guide my slave If you've followed me over the years, you know that my background is not horticulture or environmental science or even political theory. It's showbiz. And at this time of year, I go back to my showbiz roots to promote my caroling group, the Frozen Robins. Here's a sample of our work. Sing songs of the cheer, Christmas is here. Santa's on his way. Wop, 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 wop. Silver and gold, silver and gold. With the corn top pipe and a button nose. Hey, you better watch out. You better not cry. So if you're looking for a bunch of entertainment pros to add some fun to your holiday event, write to me, Mike at MikeNovak.net about the frozen robins or contact me on any of my social media outlets we'd love to be the hit of your season in may 2016 president obama signed legislation honoring the american bison as our nation's national mammal hi i'm mike redmer acting natural resources manager at medewa national tallgrass prairie in wilmington National Bison Day is Saturday, November 5. Celebrate with us at Medewin, where a herd of bison was introduced in 2015 as a 20-year experiment to restore the landscape to native tallgrass prairie and create a diverse habitat for birds and wildlife. From 9 a.m. to noon, speakers will be present and give information about bison in a tent at the Iron Bridge Trailhead. Bison and ecology specialist Dwayne Lammers will talk at 11 a.m., Lammers works with Medewin as a bison consultant through the National Forest Foundation. 
We hope to see you here too. We're located 14 miles south of Joliet off of historic Route 66. More details are available on Facebook. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. Aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. I put a spell on you. Because you might. Oh, yeah. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show. Still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Broadcasting live every Sunday from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Here he is again, Mike Novak. <laughs> What's up? I All right, this is getting interesting here. Now, I know mean screaming Jay Hawkins. <laughs> Uh, we are uh, going to be uh, bringing in a bunch of people mm-hmm. here on uh, the phone line. And I think I might have Keith there now. Keith, are you with me? Yes, I am. Oh, wonderful. Great. Uh, Keith is... Uh, how do you pronounce your last name, Keith? It's Ani. 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 Okay, yeah, now... kind of messed up Norwegian there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. hang on a second here. We're going to be dragging in uh, a, a few more... Folks, I tried to do the – This it, you don't even want to know what the setup is here. He's standing on one foot yeah, right yeah, now. Just, He's got an arm up just, in the air. Yeah. <laughs> That's just right. tell me when you're, at, when you're ready to talk I, and we'll visit. I got to put on my foil hat here. And, and beli- <laughs> believe me, we're, uh, we're actually live on the radio, so uh, don't say anything uh, bad. Uh, not that I think you, <laughs> you would. Let's no. see if we can get um, – we're going to hope some of these phone, these. Hi, this is Rose. Ro, whoa! I'm looking for Dwayne Lammers. Yes. Um. Hold on. He might be nearby. <laughs> okay. This is a Q4 Radio in Chicago. The Mike Novak show. We were scheduled to do an interview with him right about now. So if you can track him down, that would be wonderful. Oh, and he'll be live sure. on the air when he comes on. Yeah. Hold, hold on. Okay. <laughs> well, we're off to a. a a brilliant start here, uh, Keith. Oh well, yeah, he's uh, Dwayne's an old friend. He's probably out feeding buffalo. Yeah, or that's true. Well, he's, let's, he's out in South yeah. Dakota, right? Or where he, is he now? He, well, he gets around. You'll ha- you'll have to ask him where he lives now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm going to try to add one more number, and Uh-oh. that is yeah. I know now. Now we're we've got two uh, right now. Now we're getting Wade. Okay. Hello, Dwayne Lowers. Hey, uh, Dwayne. It's Mike Novak from Q4 Radio in Chicago. 
Yes, sir. Uh, I'm so glad to have you on board, Keith. And uh, you are on the radio right now, by the way, Dwayne. Yes, we, okay. we're, we are live. And, uh, okay. And how did we pronounce Keith's last name again? Ani. Ani uh, is with you, and I guess you guys are, are, you're, are you're buddies, right? Uh, yeah. We've known each other quite a few years. Um, quite, a, quite a while. Yep. Wow. Uh, well, how did that start? Well, this I Buffalo guess. world is kind of a small world, so that's one of the key things to understand. There, there are only a few of us playing in this game. So, Dwayne's an old, an old Buffalo Wrangler from way back. We both are a bit of a white-haired guy, so uh-huh. you know we've been at this a while. <laughs> All right, I'm trying one more uh, call here to uh, Wade Spang at um, Midaywin. Hello. Hey, Wade, is that you? That's me. Oh my goodness! Good we've morning. Got, we're. I think I'm going to quit while I'm ahead here. All right, because uh, we've got Keith Onay and uh, Dwayne Lammers on the phone as well, um, and uh, we're talking bison today or buffalo. Okay, well, you know, let's start right there. Some people use them interchangeably, and maybe Keith or uh, Dwayne want to uh, explain the difference between bison and buffalo. This is Keith, and 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 actually, I use the term interchangeably, and part of it is. Uh, just you know tradition the 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 old world buffalo is a, is a different genera than the bison world and so if you're a taxonomic guy you might fret over this but to be honest we've sort of given up in in biology about arguing over buffalo and bison <laughs> and and part of it has to do with you know the buffalo of asia and um uh, you know africa are are quite different in a lot of respects they live in a different climate have different adaptations. The North American bison, which is the technically correct term, is really cold adapted, and that's that's one of the big differences. Most of those Asian African buffalo are warm weather adapted, and and so the the other thing that's happened is when the French first came out, they they started giving names to things, and so did the Spanish, and you know, so language being what it is, they they came up with a bufo and eventually buffalo and and then we told everybody that's what it was and so i think it's pretty hard to reel that one back in so (laughs) we tend to use them interchangeably now the american bison is the taxonomic and correct term one of the reasons that Dwayne lammers is on the phone um duane you're a movie consultant and and you you have a ranch where the 1991 academy award-winning film dances with wolves was uh, filmed. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that experience and, and how it relates to bison? Well, it's, it's uh, actually, I was operating the, I don't currently, I'm not currently on that ranch anymore. I operated that for 25 years out in western South Dakota. But I think one of the things that that happened with the Dance with Wolves movie was up until then, I don't think people really thought there really any buffalo or bison hardly left. And I think one thing that that movie did was really uh, reintroduce uh, the animal to the greater public. Mm-hmm. So that was a good thing. I mean, as far as um, movie goes, I mean, it's a uh, I look at it as one of the many ways we can market bison. Uh, it's been something we've done a lot over the years. I've actually had them in downtown L.A. a couple times. Mm. Um so we're, um, and I think one of the, one of the things I've really focused on over the years is understanding their behavior. I, I grew up on a cattle ranch 
which my family still operates. And uh, I worked with a lot of purebred breeders over the years when I was through college. And one of the things I really liked about the bison was it wasn't an animal that we spent a lot of time trying to make better. Um, I think they're an excellent animal just as they are. They have a lot of attributes if you're raising them that just makes them so much easier to uh, take care of. Um, I Actually, it's very easy to take care of bison compared to cattle. Really? So, what's, what's, what's the advantage uh, with bison? Uh, well, a couple of things. I've, had, I've, I've seen uh, blizzards come into western South Dakota that killed cattle, uh, adults as well as young calves. And I've had that same, and I've had a thousand cows that were calving out on the flat open prairie, and and these were blizzards that came right at the tail end of April. So they, for those where the snow disappeared in about three or four days, and I have never lost a buffalo in a blizzard. Um, back in, and so they, I've actually seen them stop calving a day or so before a blizzard comes. Uh, if you think about it, the ones that survived over the centuries are the ones that uh, figured out uh, how to hold it, so to speak. Uh, and, and I think there's just uh, things like that that the animals naturally do. They, they tend to go to water and leave it. They don't camp on water holes. Um, I would expect that might be because maybe predators tended to uh, watch the water holes you know, when they might have an opportunity at them. You know, there's, but they're just, uh, I, I just don't have to worry about them. I, like I told people, I used to watch the weather all the time when I ran cattle, getting prepared to get them up to shelter, whatever I needed to do. And with bison, if uh, a blizzard hits, I throw another log on the fire and make a pot of coffee and read a book. Don't worry <laughs> about it. Wow. Well, one of the things when we went out and visited with Wade Spang, who's also on the phone. He's, by the way, the Prairie Supervisor for the USDA Forest Service Midewin National Tallgrass Prairie in Wilmington, Illinois. And it's uh, just it's a couple hours out of Chicago, folks, if you want to go down there and see buffalo or bison or whatever you want to call them. Uh, you can do that. Uh, but um, Dwayne and Keith, one of the things we learned on Friday is that these are social animals, but also they're cautious that uh, one of the things, uh, you know, we talked to um, uh, Kelly Gutnecht, uh, the, uh, who's a range management specialist there, and she was telling us uh, how, how they approach the animals. So it takes me back to the movie and, and working with them. You weren't, you know, this is not an animal, Dwayne, that you're going to get to do tricks, right? But is there, was in, in filming that, were they just background uh, how did how did you engage the animals uh, in the service of the film? Well, a lot of the the um, the original large chases that happened at uh, the Hawk Ranch, which uh, was another ranch that we're doing they were doing stuff with. At the time, the Hawks had four thousand head of buffalo, and I only had about a thousand. So some of the first big scenes were done at the Hawk Ranch, and you know the thing is, is I think they just kind of you know, jumped in and, and started a chase with a lot of cameras. Um, I think what we learned later on is when Costner came back to do Wyatt Earp was, and what I've done a lot in the, since then is, is uh, 
a lot of film is a specialist where you're doing with the animals is a few seconds here and there. And what I did, particularly with with wide herp and so forth, was uh, we took that thousand or two thousand head of animals and really kind of positioned them for the shots. And actually, they were just a lot of those were hundred yard dashes. Um, in fact, I remember there was one uh, commercial we did where we uh, brought the animals up to a spot with some uh, treats. Uh, I, and we uh, had them standing there, and I just told the guys that had one shot at this because they were wanting to do a at after sundown. Uh, and I didn't want animals or people to get hurt in the dark, uh, so we did it a few minutes after sundown. But we literally uh, did a big chase. Animals were doing the stampede thing. We stopped after uh, it was probably about a quarter mile, and everybody kind of quit. We left. Buffalo kind of looked at us like they weren't sure what happened there, but then they came back <laughs> and made the treat. So, you know, I, a lot of, a lot of uh, the animals are it's just working with them. I think where people have... Where people have gotten injured with the animals is trying to get, they think they're tame and they get into their space. And what happens is they get literally within, uh, you know, four or five feet of the animals to get a selfie. And and bison have a certain fight or flight zone. And kind of like if you're going to get right in their face, they're going to move you away. And I think that's where a lot of the, because uh, mostly animals will move away from you if you, yeah, if they have a place to go, you know, it's uh, I I had that experience, and I don't, and I'm not saying they're the same animal or anything, but um, uh, I used to have a vacation home in the Pacific Northwest, and um, the elk would come down from the mountains, and uh, you could, if you moved toward them, it, it was very, it was actually very, very funny, because they would just sort of, they didn't run. They would saunter away. If you moved a step, they would move a step. You moved another step, they moved another step. You know, they had there was almost a space. They they knew exactly where they wanted to be in re, in regard to uh, humans. Um, and yet, you realize that, as you pointed out just now, these are not these are not pets. Okay, and I think some folks uh, have that idea uh, that they might be, and that's. Uh, where they get their, themselves in trouble, uh, don't they, Keith? Well, yeah, that's that's exactly the case. And part of this is, and Dwayne hit on some really good points, that one, we want bison to be bison, and they have very strong behavioral adaptations to, to live in the environments they live in and actually to live with humans. Just bear in mind, humans have been interacting with bison for 12,000 years. And so they know exactly, you know, what to expect and, and how to expect it. And this is a, one of the traps we get in is we think they are not particularly bright and a, a bit stolid and stupid, but in fact, they're just the opposite. And this is where Cattleman and Dwayne made this transition. He's one of the early guys to do this, begin to recognize the difference, the behavioral differences between, say, a bison and, and cattle. And where we get in trouble is thinking of them as just another black cow. And humans just uh, don't understand them. They are a bit of a lost species. And this is why we get these events occasionally in Yellowstone where people see these buffalo, think they're tame, 
come up very close to him, and the next thing you know, they're tossed in the air. So it is really, you know, our human perceptions and misperceptions, I guess, of this animal that get us in trouble. And if we understand them well, and people like Dwayne are teaching us this, we actually are very able to live alongside and with bison and to even manage them quite well, yet keep them, you know, fully functional bison, not not just some, you know, tamed animal. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, Keith is the uh, bison program director for the Wildlife Conservation Society. Tell me what your organization is doing uh, in the Buffalo realm. Well, yeah, we're kind of a, an old organization. We're actually, uh, it, it go back to the late 1800s, 1895, and um, started uh, essentially by Theodore Roosevelt and a lot of the early conservationists. Uh, the New York Zoological Society was our early name because they owned all the zoos of New York and were trying to present animals and educate people about animals um, in the New York geography because there was this disconnect that they could see happening. And part of their mission was to not just present the animals in a zoological setting, but to teach and to, to actually practice conservation and protection of the species in, in, in broader geographies. So we actually work in 60 countries around the world. We have a North America program. Our North America program has a bison component to it. It's one of our priority species. And that stems from actually part of our history because a branch on our tree is the American Bison Society. And the American Bison Society was started in 1905. There's a group of, of really excellent conservation champions that stepped up to the plate and said, we're going to do something to save this species before it's extinct. And indeed they did. And working in concert with some branchers um, and uh, private individuals and as a private organization, they assembled and restored bison to areas in the West. And so they actually gathered some of these buffalo in uh, New York City, believe it or not, and at the Bronx Zoo and then shipped them out West and created new um, herds of, of bison for public enjoyment. So our organization has long been involved in the bison recovery and restoration mission. And uh, we sort of revamped it in 2005, and we started what we call the second recovery of American bison. And, and as Dwayne has pointed out, people are really getting reacquainted with bison in many places, in many geographies, when they had been lost, that connection had been lost for so long. That's uh, Keith Oney, uh, who's... Uh with the Wildlife Conservation Society. You heard Dwayne Lammers, a bison and ecology specialist uh, who has worked on uh, several films utilizing bison. So now we go, you, you gave us a good segue there, Keith, because uh, people uh, in Illinois haven't seen bison in the wild apparently since about 1808 is what I read. I don't know if that's exactly right, but uh, Wade Spang is the prairie supervisor at Medewin National Tallgrass Prairie. We went, met with him on Friday, and uh, first of all, Wade, we just had the best time talking to you guys in the room and and, <laughs> and geeking out on the species. It was really, really fun. And, and not just that species, but all the species that you're managing there. One of the things we discovered while we were there is that seven 
of the uh, Chicago Wilderness Priority Species are at Medewin National Tall Grass Prairie. Um, that was that was surprising, um, and then we learned about uh, how the lands are being managed and the introduction of bison back to Illinois and it, at the Tall Grass Prairie. Uh, Wade, talk a little bit about uh, what you're hoping to achieve with the grand experiment, uh, and and you and you spoke about it as an experiment uh, out there uh, in Wilmington, Illinois, uh, in bringing the bison back. Yes. Um... Like Keith and Duane were saying uh, about bison and how they graze and how they interact with with the with the landscape uh, with the, the land out there in different places, we too wanted to bring them here so that they would interact uh, with our landscape in restoring tall grass prairie. And uh, we uh, we want to make sure that this herd is a conservation herd, like was mentioned earlier here with Keith and that uh, we keep them as close as we can to a conservation herd. Our experiment is on 1,200 1, acres, sorry. And we plan to uh, have them uh, graze that area in the way that bison graze, which is different than cattle. Uh, bison will graze grasses, and they'll leave forbs, which is very important in the sense of different diversity in species as birds, as you were mentioned uh, here earlier. And those species uh, like different sizes of grass, meaning short grass like your lawn, uh, medium grass, maybe like a, uh, an area that hasn't been mowed, and, and of course, tall grass areas. And each species likes that that area to live in, nest in, and uh, live in. And so the bison will help us do that in a, in a grand way on this 1,200 acres. The key point here is that uh, they can graze in a way that allows for diversity to come uh, and be here at Medellin and also graze certain species and leave certain species uh, that uh, help in the restoration of a tall grass prairie. That's the fascinating part. Is and Wade took us out there, and uh, Keith and Dwayne. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of this. You guys uh, out in Western Great Plains are dealing with uh, shorter grass, um, and here in Illinois, which I guess is considered the Eastern Prairie, um, it's we can get six, seven, eight foot tall grasses, um, and uh, Wade showed us areas where the, the, the buffalo had grazed, and as he mentioned, they leave the forbs, which are flowering plants for people uh, not familiar with the term forb. So you get, you get the flowers, and they leave the, the flowers, and the seed heads are there, which help feed birds and other species. Um, and there are varying heights where the buffalo have grazed, unlike cattle, uh, as Wade pointed out, that'll just eat everything to the ground. Is uh, Dwayne? Is that your experience? Yeah, there's. I, I think what Wade's pointed out is exactly right. You know, I've been working with uh, Wade since the inception of this idea, and I and I. By the way, I'm tickled to death. I think it's a fantastic project that uh, Wade's got going out there. Uh, but that's exactly right. That mosaic of of plant heights and the difference and uh, plants that the animals graze is a very important factor um, for the, as far as the ecology of the area. That makes 
that's really what it's all about. And I think if you think about it, you know, the, the bison evolved with uh, deer, pronghorn, and so forth, where those animals actually ate more of the forbs, and the bison concentrated on the uh, on the forbs and brush. I mean, bison concentrated on the grass, so the other ones were looking at the forbs and brush. So, you know, those uh, in that uh, hair, that uh, that down that the buffalo shared in the spring when some of the birds need a little bit of nesting materials, pretty advantageous too. So they're, they've got a nice mixture there of what's going on. Uh, and one thing we, we didn't mention, uh, and part of the reason we're doing this today, is that next Saturday, uh, November 5th, is National Bison Day at Medewin National Tallgrass Prairie. Um, I'm not sure uh, who wants to, to speak on this. Is this is this something that's been celebrated before, or is this brand new, and is it just uh, for Medewin? Maybe I can weigh in because I kind of started this. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, 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 this, this goes back to exactly what Dwayne was saying, is we, we begin to look at the the – the notion of restoring the second, doing the second recovery of bison in 2005. And one of the key things we looked at is we need to have both the scientific basis, which was just discussed, and then we need to have a social basis for supporting bison recovery. And and so we do both, and, and that the social basis, we begin to see that People didn't perceive this animal in the right way. They had a lot of mistaken perceptions, or they didn't see it at all. <clears throat> and so we, we set about devising ways to raise the profile of the species in the American um, discussion and dialogue of wildlife. And so one of the things that I brainstormed was the concept of making bison our national mammal. And we pitched this idea to some partners, the National Bison Association, which is principally the producer group, um, and then the Intertribal Buffalo Council, um, that is the tribal uh, groups that are doing bison conservation and restoration for cultural purposes. And it really caught fire, and we we brought it to Congress through uh, an act called the National Bison Legacy Act. And that act, it took a few years and some dancing. Um, I don't know if you'd call it dancing with wolves, but it might have felt <laughs> at times like that. Uh, but we we ended up with a passage of this act in uh, two, uh, just recently, and President Obama signed the the, the bill last year. And they actually it, actually it really he, he he signed it this year in May May ninth May ninth yeah, yeah. in May. I, I keep thinking of. Uh, this is from being old as years start to blend together. But <laughs> the, uh, the the situation being that that we then designated bison as a national mammal under that act. Prior to that, we had passed four resolutions each year, and I have to credit Senator Enzi from Wyoming. He and others joined forces, and and actually each year they've got these resolutions passed. So this is actually. Uh, we're, we're several years into having National Bison Day, and this is this includes having celebrations across the country. And so we've had hundreds of these at this point in different places. So, for example, um, all of Ted Turner's, uh, you know, restaurants, his his restaurants offered special deals on National Bison Day. Different groups have had presentations and lectures and you know different events. So uh, this year, fortunately, with passage of the act, we give it a little more attention, and we actually hired a national coordinator, and she's reached out to 
the folks at Medewin and Wind Cave and other places. So we have events going on around the nation, but Medewin is a, a really cool one. I think it's really neat because it's it's close to such a huge urban area, and it gives us an outreach to a, a much, much larger audience. So I'll let uh, the folks at Medewin speak to the specifics of that event. Go ahead, Wade. Sure, Mike. Uh, yeah, as you said here, we're going to have our first National Bison Day uh, event here Saturday, November 5th, from 9 a.m. to noon. And uh, uh, we're located between Elwood and Wilmington on Highway 53 there, and you can stop in at the office. The exact event will be up at our Iron Bridge Trailhead where uh, we took you uh, on Friday there. Right. And the neat thing about that is, number one, it's being the first one. And number two, uh, Dwayne is going to be our featured speaker there. And he's going to be able to talk to folks, and folks are going to be able to talk to him plus uh, some of my staff there and interact with us. And then hopefully they can, after that, they can take a walk on the trail and uh, go out and uh, see if they can uh, explore and see uh, bison out there. Um, it's not always a given that you will see bison, but uh, uh, sometime if you keep coming back and exploring, you you will see that conservation herd. You know, I think that's an important point, and 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 Peggy and I teased this earlier in the show uh, about whether we saw bison or not, and we did not. We did not see the bison, and I I don't think that spoiled the day at all for us um, because now we have to come back and do that. But that's the point. It's not a zoo. All right, it's it's a natural area, and the bison are entitled to the, to their privacy. They're entitled to roam where they can on the thousand acres or so, uh, and uh, and it's up to folks to uh, have the uh, the energy and per- perseverance to come out and see them. But I think it's kind of fun that Dwayne, you're going to be there. Keith, you're going to be there. Um, uh, of course, Wade, you will be there, and folks can come and talk to Dwayne and say, ask uh, what it's like to hang out with Kevin Costner, right? Yeah, there you go. We can do that. <laughs> um, I, well, before we let you go, I got we just got a few more minutes here. Um, I, there are a couple of questions that uh, I'm really curious about, especially from uh, Keith and Wade. Uh, I'm sorry, Keith and uh, uh, Dwayne, um, because you guys have been doing this a long time. There must be a sense of awe. Uh, watching the buffalo come back in America, the bison, uh, because if you've been doing this, if you're white-haired guys, I assume you've been doing it for decades uh, when, at, at a time when the numbers weren't as great as they are now. Apparently we've got, what, 300,000 or 500,000 uh, head in, uh, in the country or in North America and 30,000 on natural lands. Uh, is that about right? Yeah, you bet. And, and by the way, Dwayne is a member of our group, so we, we embrace lots of diversity and, and interesting folks in that group, so it's a lot of fun. Um, and and what's happened is the commercial industry is down a little bit. That's where you got to 300000 It It was 500000 but it waxes and wanes with market forces. But the uh, conservation herds have been pretty steady and, and growing steadily as we as we find new areas for bison across north america and this is the wonder of it all uh, we just did a 10-year report card at our american bison society meeting in canada <clears throat> not but two weeks ago excuse me and and so it is pretty exciting and i think Dwayne would agree we're seeing you know real interest in this animal public attention to it 
um, policymaker attention to it, and actual restoration projects on the ground. So not just Medewin, Medewin's wonderful story, but other places. There's a place north of Fort Collins. There's a reintroduction going on in Banff National Park. Uh, we're working myself specifically with the Blackfeet project in Glacier Waterton area. There's a bison restoration effort underfoot in uh, in Grand Canyon, reshaping that herd. There were recently bison reintroduced to the Llanos in 2009. So in the last decade, we've had tremendous progress in thinking differently about bison, recognizing its value and importance, and actually doing things on the ground to restore them so they have that ecological functionality once again that they once uh, displayed to um, our, you know, our historical um, travelers in the West. And we should bear in mind, I'm going to throw this in real quick if there's a minute, they actually lived east of the Mississippi. Uh, Illinois was a great buffalo area in Indiana and down to Kansas, but also as far as Virginia and as far south as even the Florida coastlines at times. They extended across the eastern areas as well, wherever there were big meadowlands and, and opportunities to find grass. So, you know, it, it's an adventure for all of us in, in the United States and actually North America. And that's the fun part about this. Uh, let me ask you one uh, question here before we go. And, and I will plug the uh, event on National uh, Bison Day one more time before we go. Um, what about the genetic diversity? Since we narrowed the uh, herd in in North America, some I've read that it might have gotten as low as 300. Other places say 1,000 head uh, around 1,900. Um and in the 100 years since, 100-plus years since, uh, some of them have been bred with cattle. So what, are, what kind of – is there any genetic purity, and does it matter? The word purity is a strange word, and, it, and for geneticists today, as we can tease apart genomes so readily, it, it almost adds to con- confusing us even more. What I like to point to is there's important lineages out there and the important lineages that are some are free of cattle genes, some might have a small amount of cattle gene in them. And we had a huge conference on this, sort of worked this all out at Tulsa, Oklahoma in 2011. And, and we really just said, you know what, we're not going to worry so much about that 1% or 2% of cattle genes. We're going to worry about keeping those lineages that are free of cattle genes away from that but but those other lineages are also important so we be, we become better lumpers so to speak and and not worrying so much about that what we want to do is preserve the important genes in there that make bison function well and and thrive and what we really are trying to do is let mother nature sort that out a bit if we start muddling around in it it gets good even worse sometimes so Mother Nature will sort that out. If there are cattle genes in there or deleterious genes of any type in there, Mother Nature selects them out. And if we let that happen, we're going to get to a better place for bison, and its future is assured genetically. And that's kind of where we're at. Um, so we're not spending a lot of time now trying to sort you know, animals out because you can throw the baby out with the bathwater. We were very fortunate at the turn of the century that bison were saved in disparate parts of its range, meaning we grabbed a little bit of genes from each part of its big range from the south to the north 
And as a result, we captured a lot of the diversity, even though they went through this bottleneck of a thousand animals counted in 1889 by William Hornaday, our patriarch. It probably got down lower than that. We don't know how low because nobody was protecting them then. But however low it got, they came through that bottleneck with genes from lots of different parts of their range. And as we expanded the herds quickly, rather rapidly, we retained that diversity. So we're very, very fortunate to come through that bottleneck. Many species around the globe are not that fortunate, and as a result are, are severely depauperate in diversity of ge genetics. Bison actually have a pretty high diversity and, and, and survive what would be a, normally a very, very tight bottleneck, and it's partly because both uh, uh, human intervention and recovery efforts brought their numbers back rapidly after that happened. All right, before I let you all go, Wade, I want you to have the last word and tell people what you think they should be looking for when they come out to Medea when either you know, a week from, well, next Saturday, next Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to noon, uh, or any other time uh, to check out uh, the bison. What, what should they look for in regard to the bison, but also in regard to Medewin in general? Sure. Uh, when you come out here, uh, of course, you want to come out here and uh, take, take an exploration and go uh, look for the bison. Uh, you can stop by the office here or call and uh, kind of find out uh, the day and maybe if somebody has seen them, so you kind of, kind of know where they're at. Maybe you'd like to walk and see that part of it. You can come and enjoy them and the prairie by hiking our trails. Uh, you can also come and enjoy the prairie by bicycling or also by horseback. And uh, let me tell you, uh, there's just lots to see, even if you uh, do not see bison or as you're or walking along exploring bison uh, area. You will see tall grass prairie that's over eight feet tall there. You'll see fall colors like you've never saw before, up close, browns, purples, yellows, uh, tans, you will see different species of birds flying around if you're here early in the morning. There's just a ton of things to see here uh, if you take the time and want to unplug a little bit from the busyness of the world. And uh, just a little thing, a snippet here. I know it's, I'm going to just do a list, but we have 15 threatened and endangered species that are located here. You might see those. If you know your plants, there's 275 different types of plants that you would see. Uh, we have uh, different types of mammals here other than the bison. We have the, the eagle also out here that you might be able to see that. That's our nation's bird. And if you like uh, reptiles, uh, we have different, uh, we have over 15 uh, different species of reptiles. We have 22 miles of trail that you can hike, ride your bike on our horse and explore the prairie. So come out and enjoy. It's all yours. It's public land. It's for you to enjoy. And it's, it's a great place to learn about nature. Here at Midday, when we are nature keepers, and we plan to do that in the future, and, uh, and we want you to come out and enjoy us. That's uh, well put, Wade. Uh, thank you uh, so much. That's uh, Wade Spang, who's the Prairie Supervisor at Medewin National Tallgrass Prairie. We've also had Keith Ani, um, Bison Program Director, Wildlife Conservation Society, and Dwayne Lammers, uh, bison and ecology specialist and film 
consultant as well. They're all going to be at National Bison Day at Medewin National Tallgrass Prairie next Saturday, 9 to noon. Stop by. The experts are there. You can ask questions. Of course, uh, you can also ask them, where do you see the bison? And that's that was one of the funny things uh, uh, when we were there on Friday, Wade, is that the different groups of people were talking to each other. You know, you pass each other on the trail. Have you seen any bison? <laughs> Have you seen any bison? And, Are they this way? Are they that way? Yeah, which way should we go here? And uh, and everybody's uh, helping each other out, and it's, it's pretty cool. So uh, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, we could go on for hours, I'm sure, but... Uh, uh, we'll let people have their own conversations with you, and you guys uh, all have a great Sunday. You too, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> all right. Bye-bye. Well, the World Series isn't, isn't even over yet. Well, maybe it is. And uh, we haven't gotten to Halloween or the end of Daylight Saving Time, and yet I already have my November-December issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. Me too. Oh, did you get yours yeah, already? Okay. Way. Well, see, I thought it was because I have connections, so that's not the case. But even at this time of year, you can learn a lot about gardening and maybe even figure out what you did wrong in 2016. One mistake you won't want to make is to turn to the inside back page of the magazine and read my column. It's my annual evisceration of your favorite holiday carols. So start writing your hate mail now. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com. But if you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, 888-265-3600. Food Tank is excited to announce the first annual Food Tank Summit in Chicago on November 16th at the Gleacher Center. More than 30 different speakers from the food and agricultural field, including researchers, farmers, chefs, policymakers, government officials, and students, will come together for interactive panels moderated by top food journalists. And then after the summit, join Food Tank for a reception and dinner at Chef Mario Batali's Italy. 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 And the Mike Novak Show is proud to be a media sponsor of this event. You can learn more and buy your tickets at foodtanksummit.com. Mike Novak Show listeners, you're going to get $50 off with the code Are you Mike. kidding me? Yes. What's that code again? Mike. All right. Sounds good to me. Rick DeMaio Weather coming up next. Yes, he's back. Trying to weather the housing market? Consider replacing your windows and siding. Remodeling Magazine says they're some of the nation's most popular projects today. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling and energy needs. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. This is Suzanne Malik McKenna for Chicago Wilderness. When you think of our region, wilderness may not be the first thing that comes to mind. Did you know this area is home to more than half a million acres of protected nature with thousands of plants and animal species? Our local native wildlife needs your help. Now is the time. 12 Animals in 12 Weeks is a campaign to get support for these critical species and their habitats. Sponsor one today. Meet the species at chicagowilderness.org slash species. Did you know Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? Hi, I'm Peggy, and I know this is true because for six years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you do need to get your business in front of our readers. 
Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicagoland who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga instructors, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Bewitching? Mm-hmm. Halloween? Okay. All right, let's. That old devil moon. Yes, all right. Bring in uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. It had a little bit of a, uh, a, a interlude to a Herb Albert song there for a minute. <laughs> uh, by the way, before we get to you there, Rick, um, yeah. uh, we got a tweet from Carolyn. Uh, who said, how about the bison herd at Fermilab? Saw them a couple of years ago right next to the fence. We were talking bison earlier uh, on the program, just before you came on. Um, And the bison at Medewin National Tallgrass Prairie next Saturday is National Mm -hmm. Bison Day. Yeah, yeah. I watched a little bit of uh, Meet the Press this morning and Face the Nation and this week. And, you know, when, when... when all they talk about is whatever was drummed up in the last three days, it's um, <laughs> and people say kids have small attention spans. I mean, adults have small attention spans, and they, it's like I, I still want to hear something about the issues, and I still want to hear things like, you know, climate change brought up. And, you know, there was a really great interview with uh, John Dickerson from Face the Nation with um, uh, Joe Biden. And, and this, or um, next week on Bill Maher's show, Real Time, uh, he's actually going to have uh, Barack Obama on. He's been waiting yeah. eight years. And uh, obviously, I think he probably had to go to Washington, D.C. to do the interview. Not going to bring him out to L.A. But, you know, hopefully things like the environment and climate change and education will be brought up. And I know that's what Mike and Peggy, we talk about every week, and it still is not addressed in the political landscape. And that's really a shame, especially on the national level. Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, and it's been disappointing. And, you know, we're, we're going to have to move on and keep pressing for those things to be discussed. There's not much we can do. Yeah, you know, and speaking of the environment and climate change, I was uh, at a friend's house last night, one of my um, college, um, if you want to call it, uh, not roommates, but but we basically were inseparable during our last couple of years in University of Wisconsin, and there was another person who was an alumni there watching, going back and forth between the Cubs game and Wisconsin and Nebraska, and the fact that all three of us, the meteorologists, we, we spent probably more time talking weather than baseball because that was more interesting. Um, and, and both of these guys, Mike, are more energy, more long-term um, uh, analysts of weather or more short-term and more regional. And we were talking about the lack of, of overnight low temperatures, 
uh, being anywhere close to normal, talking about these guys look at everything. We need they, 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 they know things like overnight lows in these small remote towns of northern Canada, uh, the amount of, of ice or snow currently on the ground in Russia, which there is a lot of, uh, but the lack of cold air still across North America, and the fact that um, I think I mentioned this two weeks ago, Mike, that Dodge City, Kansas had a 100-degree temperature on the yeah. 17th of October. And then two days ago, Phoenix hit 100. And I'm looking at this, and I'm going, I wonder if that's the latest Phoenix has ever hit 100. And sure enough, I looked it up, that's the latest Phoenix has ever hit 100. And, and this was just two days ago. And, and the next couple of days, when we get back into another warm pattern here for tomorrow and Tuesday, the, the amount of 90s that we're going to have, and now we're not talking October 31st, uh, which is tomorrow, but we're talking November 1st, which is Tuesday, and just the lack of cold air. And you know what, Mike, what's interesting? And Peg, both of these guys about 10 years ago were not so much climate deniers, but they weren't convinced. But after looking at the science and seeing it day in and day out and the, the breadth of the warmth, they've definitely tipped their way uh, towards the other side now, which is nice. I mean, they're being more objective about things. That's great. That's really, that's good to hear. I mean, it, if you, you know, even the science guys uh, have a hard time coming over, that's frustrating, but at least they finally have. Well, well, I think what's, what's, what's kind of disappointed about this was this is someone who I thought my, my, my scientific and meteorological views were aligned um, and he ended up working for an energy company, which was pretty much involved with a lot of fracking. I'm not going to name the company. And I remember what he said to me. He goes, yeah, you know, the global warming, it's peaked. And I kind of looked at him. I go, what do you mean it's peaked? He goes, oh, yeah, it's peaked. We're on a hiatus. I'm like, you really think so? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's over. And, and I thought to myself, that, that wasn't him speaking. That was the company line speaking. And since that company has now gone out of business, and he's gotten back into, I think, more grassroots type of, of meteor, meteorology, his views have switched. So I think even people like myself, if you're, if you're kind of swayed towards the way that the company line is going, you'll be swayed that way. And, and, that's, and I think that was really interesting that I saw that. And then later on, he kind of admitted, he goes, yeah, I think I was just kind of pushed in that direction. Mm. Wow. Well, yeah. you know, it's the Stockholm syndrome, I guess, some, or, or, or something close to it. You know, you start to think like the people around you and the ones who are, yeah. who are holding you captive in your cubicle. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's, I, can, I can still go back to the times when my dad said, oh, no, 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 racism, it's over. I'm like, no, Dad. It's not. He goes, oh, yeah, they're fine. They're, they have everything they need right now. I'm like, who's they? <laughs> and it was a conversation <laughs> that I, I think it was more corporate. And, yeah. and still, I, I have these debates with him on stuff that I just think it's who he's around. It's not that he's actually insulating himself from the rest of the world and, and kind of thinking about, uh, you know, the environment and other things. And, it, and, that's, and that's what's really a shame about this time of the year is you begin to not like people that you thought you knew. Well, <laughs> you know? and, and once we get past the election, you can go back to liking yeah. them again, you know? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. It's almost that's the great thing about Halloween, right? You can put on a mask and pretend you're someone else for about three hours. <laughs> yeah only if i can get some snickers bars uh, there right. you go yeah there you go Peg. yeah um, um so i know you want to talk weather go ahead no 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 no, no if you want to talk politics i'll just you know i'll just turn you loose here you know I, i'm not sure what else uh you you know you didn't hear about uh, climate on be depressed i mean meet the press no um, no, no 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 there was nothing there but um uh i did send you some information about yes. how warm we've been mm-hmm. yeah um Six to ten day since six to ten day outlook has is basically 
uh, 8 to 10 degrees above normal in the Plain State. The last two days, a wealth of 80s all the way from the Dakotas down into Texas. Um, the 8 to 14-day outlook continues to produce, you know, well above average temperatures in the, in the western high plains. And that's pretty much where the warmth is going to be, um, is going to be centered and and some of the some of the the problems with some of these forecasts, and I have to make sure your 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 listeners understand this, is that when we talk about an afternoon high of 66, it it still means that the early morning temperatures could be in the mid 40s. And I think yesterday, or at least Friday, was a good example of that. Yeah. Where I had several people come up to me and say, I thought it was going to be warm to them. Like, well, yeah, but when you woke up outside, when you woke up and you looked outside or or heard the the weather report or the current observation, it was 41 degrees with the south wind at 6. That last time I checked is kind of chilly. So you have to dress for both the morning and the afternoon. And even though 64 or 65 sounds warm with the south wind of 15 miles per hour, it puts a little bit of a chill mm-hmm. in the air. So, so sometimes what people hear and what they expect this time of the year are kind of two different things. Although you can't, you can't deny the fact that, you know, the high temperature yesterday of 72 is feels pretty good, even though it was kind of cloudy, and obviously the Cubs lost. Um, and then today, the cool front. Oh, did they? Through. I hadn't noticed. <laughs> the cool front? The, no, I hadn't noticed that the Cubs lost. He was busy basking oh, in yeah, the glow of yeah, Michigan. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah two, two fronts came through last night, one from Canada and one from Cleveland, I guess. The best way to describe oh, it. But I'm bummed. A ding. There we go. <laughs> but, but it, it, you know, it's amazing because we're going right back into a mild pattern tomorrow. You know, temperatures today, mid-50s, with a lot of clouds. It's damp. It's, it's typically this kind of weather, this kind of year. You know, this is what you're going to get. But, boy, tomorrow, low 70s. And even when this front comes through on Tuesday, we'll still probably be in the 60s and maybe back to 70 on Wednesday. Wow. And it's really, and it's really amazing to see these systems just pound one after another into Alaska and the Pacific Northwest and push this incredible wealth of warm temperatures. So even though the 8 to 14 day, which is out to two weeks, has us above, above normal, it now looks like much of the month of November could be above normal. Um, and before we get even into what the winter is going to be like, which I think we all know it's going to be cooler than it was last year, we're still looking for some definite temperature changes by the time we get into December, which is what you normally get. But it's all about sometimes when you had these large pockets of cold air over Russia, over Siberia, and warm pockets of air over North America and Canada, you get this yin-yang effect, and once it breaks, um, you can get a massive delivery of cold air. That could still happen, but in the meantime, boy, the next three or four weeks might still look to be above above normal temperature-wise. Oh, you know, uh, and you put me in a, a interesting – well, you didn't do it. The weather has put me in an interesting interesting spot because I still have a bunch of tropical plants outside. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think they're fine. Yeah, they're fine. No, yeah, you're right. Exactly. Except that in the morning, you know, it gets down into the mid oh, right, mi- right, mid right. 40s. They're mm-hmm. oh, that's that's kind of the borderline where they're okay. They'll survive mid 40s, and then when it goes back up into the 60s or 70s during the day, obviously they're very happy. But um, right. you know, I have I have to actually pay attention to the forecast for the overnight lows. Because right, right, right. I, I could lose those plants in a heartbeat if, if we hit a frost. But it doesn't look like we're going to get a frost anytime no, soon, does no, it? No, 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 no. Yeah, no frost. Even though I think the lowest temperature we've got down to so far, um, at O'Hare was, I think, 33 last week. But that wasn't even a killing frost. Um, and someone had said to me, they go, boy, I'm really 
suffering from the mold this year. And with the recent wetness and now all these leaves falling off the yeah. the trees, yeah. you generally tend to get a lot more mold. So um, I know I've felt it the last couple of days. I've had one of those like lingering coughs that just kind of sits in the back of your throat. So, yeah, the Mucinex commercial will probably be doing pretty well for us <laughs> over the next two or three weeks. Well, I've been – I finally broke down – and got an antihistamine uh, last week because I mm. I was sneezing and clogged yeah. yep. and it worked and what I'm I'm experimenting with it I, I I took the last one like four days ago and I this morning as I was coming in I felt like it was wearing off like it was it was catching up with me again the mold and the dust and whatever right. Right. so right. I took another one this morning but you know if, if I have to take it once every four days I'm fine with that that doesn't bother me that much I, and I don't know this is an experiment on my part I'm experimenting with my medication right now okay <laughs> he's adjusting his meds Rick Be I'm careful. adjusting my meds right um, yeah, and I think and I think we all need to do that when it gets to this time of yeah. year you don't really know what works for you and you don't really know how to like manage yourself but um uh, I have to say, if whatever is causing people to have, you know, some of these drips and drains and coughs, as you mentioned, Mike, to yourself and maybe take as well, it's going to continue for a while. It's going to be here for another three or four weeks. Oh, boy. I can hardly wait. Um, <laughs> now, now, the interesting thing, though, is we continue, and, and I'm so glad, so thankful that you're on this show, Rick, because every time I see one of those headlines that's talking about snowmageddon and embrace yourself for i mean the la- just last week the um uh yeah, charles charles williams from streets and sand said it's going to be a brutal winter and i said and i've been telling people no it's not it's going to be a normal winter uh, appara- right, right. apparently but everybody's saying we're going to get 15 <laughs> inches more snow this year than we had last year and that right, that right. may be so but that's because we had so little snow last right, year right yeah, and 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 when I heard that too, it just said we're going to get four feet of snow. I, four feet of snow. You can when early, late. When is it going to come in? In bunches? Is it going to come in dribs and drabs? Um, and you know, last year we had what thirty-two, thirty-three inches of snow, and one third of that came in one storm before the first of December. <laughs> yes, it's true. <laughs> you know, it kind of it kind of fell even out of the normal quote December first to the end of the February winter range. Um, yeah, those forecasts are kind of useless. They really are. It was probably someone giving them a whole bunch of stuff, and they go, hey, just give me one line that I can use when I go to the press. Okay, here it is. It doesn't really tell you much. But what I think we're trying to do is to advance the science of long-range forecasting, the type of winter, the number of events, when it begins, when it ends. Uh, I was talking about this to my students last week because they did their projects on, on uh, their cities here in the United States, and they all chose a city that also was within 100 miles of a national park. So their, their, their project was on not only climate change of the city, but also climate change on the ecosystem and the biosphere of the national park, which was really, really good. And part of it was they talked a lot about how the national parks are putting out a wealth of information on their websites about the fact that the glaciers are shrinking, the meltwater is shrinking from a standpoint of how long the meltwater is there, the amount of snow on the ground is is shrinking as well, and the season that the, the length of season that the snow is on the ground is shorter. And and Mike, I was really amazed that these kids were like looking at me, going, "Wow, Mr. Ma, we really learned a lot about the ecosystem." Because you know what, Mike, it wasn't about so much about climate change affecting humans. If you sometimes see like a kid, you know, fall down, maybe not not on a bike, but maybe do like a weird thing. You go, oh, "That looked kind of funny." 
But if you see a squirrel run across the road and almost get hit, you go, oh, my God, that squirrel almost got hit. So it's almost like you have to get these kids into a different mindset and not make them think about people, but make them think about animals, make them think about plants, make them think about trees, something that they kind of relate to, but something that they don't normally care about. But then if you put it in their own backyard, you go, they go, wow, that, that's kind of serious. We probably need to do something because if it's done this in the time that I've been around, it ain't going to be around here for my kids. So I think it was kind of a different way of, of approaching it, and I think it kind of paid off. I I got to tell you, I was just looking at Peggy here and giving you a big thumbs up for that idea of having kids uh, look at uh, weather and climate around uh, a big city that's near uh, a national park. That is so cool, Rick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they so they chose Seattle and Olympic National Park. They chose San Francisco and Yosemite, Denver and, and Rocky Mountain Park, Jackson Hole and Yellowstone, Great Falls and Glacier. And get this, the last two. Tampa Bay and the Everglades and New York City and Gateway National Park, which is literally a whole bunch of different parks right along the marshes. Right. And they and we, we went from the most remote area um, to the most urban, and they actually got into it. You know, I gave it some as a thought. They grabbed it. They liked it. They went with it. But they're showing me pictures of what the glaciers looked like back in the 1950s and now, and they're like, everybody can see. And you can – and I not I, I not so watch the kids when they're present – but I watch the other students watch the kids presenting. I want to see whether or not they're off their phones or looking up. And they were going, wow, those glaciers really did shrink. We are down from 137 in Glacier National Park to 25. Is, are they going to come into it? Are they going to have to change the name of the park in yeah. 25 years? And someone said, if I plan on going in 10 years, are they still going to be there? I mean, these are legitimate questions. But oftentimes, well, if, if you're kind of drilling it into people's heads that you shouldn't drive your car or you shouldn't use tape or something like that, I think they've heard this so much, they, they kind of tune out to them. So it's almost up to us as scientists to try to figure out how to change the narrative, how to get people more interested, and sometimes doing it in a different way that's completely out of the norm sometimes works. Rick, it sounds like a good show segment, actually. Yeah. Getting a couple of those kids in here. I, seriously. that Do you think yeah. it, they might be interested yeah, in coming oh, in? sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I could do that. There's already been a couple that want to do uh, internships at national parks over the summertime. Cool. And they said, yeah, they said, is there a way that, that, that I can help them out? I'm like, yeah, sure, but you almost have to kind of get going on this soon. Uh, because almost every time I'm out at one of those national parks and I bump into one of those young rangers, I go, I go, so when did you apply for this? They go, oh, my God, I applied last year. Because <laughs> there's a waiting list sometimes. Yeah. And Mike and Peg, they, they always say this every time. It is the best job that they've ever had. You live basically in the park. You know, you make a minimum wage. But the fact that you're living it and seeing it every day, there's nothing better than that. And everybody can, you can make a lot of money if you're working at a law firm downtown. But to do something like that, you really feel like you're also giving back to the to the park as well. So it worked out. I wish it would have been something the teacher that I had to ask me to do when I was in school. <laughs> well, now you're, you're, you're doing it now. And I think uh, that's important uh, because things are changing a lot faster than they were when you were in school. Yeah. Yeah. At least, at least this part of, of the environment is, because I think mainly because we can see it. I think back then it was changing. We just didn't know about it. Now we see it. Yeah, I guess you're right about that. Yeah. Yeah, and the fact that you can show it to these kids, you know. You know, when you and I were growing up, we had to wait for the for the commercial of the Indian standing above Hollywood Hills, you know, with, with, with litter at his feet. 
with the with the teardrop before we did anything about it. Remember but, that commercial? Oh my gosh, yes, that was that was, that's an iconic commercial. But we the oh, fact yeah. the fact that we remember that is right. really amazing. Mm-hmm. It, right. it tells and, you how effective it was. That, there's, there's no commercials like that anymore. None. Uh, you might be right. Well, how, I don't know. Are there? Oh, I'm, I'm gonna no. now. I'm gonna be on the lookout for that. And and and, <laughs> and 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 next time we talk, I'm hoping that I will have seen something on television that that moves me in that direction. But yeah. you might you might yeah, be right. Yeah, got to get past the Bruce Brown and now Michael Madigan campaign commercials. They seem to be everywhere. Uh, all right, let's no. let's move on. On to, that note, uh, yes, let's move on to a <laughs> forecast. So again, so cloudy, um, cool, mid fifties today. Uh, overnight low, probably only down to forty five. Um, word to the wise tomorrow, even though we're expecting a high close to seventy, I think much of the morning is going to be kind of on the cloudy, damp, and cool side. So only low forties for a morning low. Uh, but probably up to 70 for an afternoon high once the clouds clear. If we remain overcast all day tomorrow, which there is a slight possibility we could, uh, probably only low 60s. But still, as long as it's warm and as long as it's somewhat humid out, uh, it'll be a good trick-or-treat afternoon into the evening as well. We cool front slides through Tuesday, a little bit of sunshine next to the clouds, low 60s. And we could even be back close to upper 60s near 70 on Wednesday with a little bit of rain. Uh, before some cooler weather or more seasonable weather works in the area for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. But again, long-term, 6 to 10 day, 8 to 14, and probably 14 and beyond, uh, generally above normal. As we finish up the month of October, I believe we're 4.5 degrees above normal. So, so far for the two fall months, September and October, averaging 5 degrees above normal. That's not a bad way to be. Wow. Unless you're worried about that continuing through the whole winter. (laughs) All right. Right. Yeah. Unless you're worried about, you know, allergies and things like that. Well, I guess that. Well, I was thinking more about climate change, but, uh, you know, I understand. I understand that. But uh, just just going. It's it's nicer to be warmer this time of the year because it delays the inevitable cold weather coming eventually in December. Yes, it does. Actually, I'm I have my first caroling gig of the season next Friday, believe it or not. I mean, it's that time. It's that time of year uh, at four. You know, we're going to be indoors, although we could probably be outdoors very easily, and it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, I think you've had it both ways in the last uh, somewhere in the last ten years. You've had it both in and out, right? Yeah, you know, we had a couple of days at the Morton Arboretum when it was seventeen degrees and windy, and that's not fun. <laughs> no, it's not fun. You're chattering more than singing at that. <laughs> exactly. Point. Well, then that's when the name the Frozen Robins really means something. So right. Uh, all right. Uh, Rick, Rick DeMaio, meteorologist, thank you so much. Good to have you back this week. And uh, talk to uh, – see if you can get a couple of recruits from your classes who might want to come into the studio and talk about the, that assignment you gave them. Yeah, we will do. We'll be in touch, and Peg, I'll be in touch with you as well. Okay. All right. Take care, okay, buddy. Sounds good. Talk to you next week. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Uh, that uh, kind of wraps things up. You got any, Do we have anything else that we need to uh, get to before we do uh, – the end of this thing? No, I just wanted to announce that the November issue of Natural Awakenings well, of is course. now out. Wait a second. Thank you. There we Thank go. You. And what's the, uh, what are some of the features in there? Well, we are focusing this month on natural beauty and avoiding mental decline as you age. Both uh, apply to me in yes. some way, but I'm not sure <laughs> how so. And we've got some amazing recipes this month, too, and um, an article on managing diabetes. So pick it up at Whole Foods or any other number of local locations throughout the city, suburbs, Lake Cook and McHenry. Awesome. Okay, I want to thank all of the guests 
who appeared on the show today, uh, Kim Hankins from McHenry County Green Expo, and Karen Wenzel, Blazing Star Nursery, Bruce Patterson from the Field Museum, Wade Spang, Keith Onne, uh, Dwayne Lammers, uh, talking about buffalo and bison, Rick DeMaio Weather, and Peggy Malecki. Go green or... Go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.